Welcome back to Production Music Demystified with Media Tracks Music, a microcast of Music Works. Today we have the honour of welcoming our guest Timothy Bond, an audio engineer with vast experience in production music. In this mini episode we will discuss an extremely important but sometimes forgotten element in the music production process, mastering. Uh, Before we join Tim, here is an advert from our sponsor. Music Works is sponsored by the Musicians' Union. I'm a member of the Musicians' Union. It's the trade union for musicians living and or working in the UK. And it's a community of 32,000 members working to protect musicians' rights and campaigning for a fairer industry. As well as campaigning to fix streaming and keep musicians working in the EU post-Brexit, the union collectively bargains for musicians working in orchestras and theatres and sets minimum recommended rates for freelance musicians working in other sectors. Its expert staff provide contract advice, legal advice and assistance, and a range of benefits and services to help musicians in every aspect of their work. Be part of something bigger and get the recognition you deserve. Join now at the MU.org. Hi Tim, welcome, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, my pleasure. Good to be here. So uh, we're going to talk about um, mastering today and uh, you are the ideal person to do that because you are a mastering engineer, um, freelance, I believe, and you work with Media Tracks, who are, we're working with on this microcast. Uh, yeah, so um, like a lot of people, uh, I sort of started off as a musician, um, a keyboard player by training, uh, sort of moved on to the production side uh, more and more, you know, sort of uh, writing uh, and then sort of producing uh, my work and other people's work. Um, I'm also a composer, but I work a lot in surround sound, so sort of multi-channel uh, setup. So I suppose that kind of got me interested in, um, yeah, sort of the detail of sound and things, um, which kind of then sort of leads on to, <laughs> kind of in a way leads on to mastering because um, it is a sort of, it is quite a detailed sort of approach as opposed to creating a mixing. Um, the sort of mastering process is, is well, is different because um, you come on at the end of the process. So it's, I suppose, one of the main things sort of, I think a mastering engineer sort of brings uh, to the sort of production process is a fresh pair of ears once all the sort of, you know, the pain and the angst of creating and mixing a piece of music has kind of been done and happened and all that kind of, uh, you know, all those late nights and <laughs> and mm. sort of trying to make things sound right and going, oh, shall I use this kick drum or shall I do that? You know, all those kind of sort of details that you get into when you're mixing, especially especially these days where a lot of composers and especially in production music, a lot of composers are producing their own tracks you know they don't sort of lay everything down and then sort of the traditional thing you know you waltz into a studio you spend a few days recording everything and then you disappear while the mixing engineer deals with it all uh now of course because um most people are working from home studios or small studios uh they're mixing you know how they want it to sound they're also mixing um and so i think uh and obviously you know some musicians really sort of jump in and grab hold of the whole technical side of the mixing process and some not so much so there's a there's quite a range um 
sort of 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 level of mixing ability i suppose um which comes with sort of home produced tracks um so then my job i suppose is to come in you know once once that's been mixed and i just get the final stereo sort of two channel mix um yeah i'm a fresh pair of ears on that um to sort of kind of um yeah sort of see if there's anything particularly that needs doing um again you can't really fix anything in mastering uh it's not it's not that magical um in that you can sort of sort of yeah create something super duper it's, it's really just kind of that last bit of polish if you like and sort of judging up uh on a on a track that's already hopefully you know sort of 95 percent of the way there um and obviously with mastering because again we're dealing with the final delivered product so we also have to be aware of you know what the technical requirements are of the format that it's going into so there's all that there's some sort of boring technical stuff with file types and bit rates and sample rates and is it going for streaming is it going on to cd is it going to be converted to mp3 you know so there's sort of you have to have an awareness um sort of all of those technical requirements uh as well sort of at the end of the process but i suppose you know what's really interesting for me sort of working with somebody like media tracks is you get such a huge array of music, you know, everything from, you know, classical to rock and roll to jazz to hip hop to dance to pop. So, um, you know, it's a real challenge. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I get sent, I get a sent an album of files and I open it up and it's like, oh, wow, okay, <laughs> we're doing, <laughs> we're doing hip hop now, right? Okay, let's try and, so you are a bit of a jack of all trades in a way, because again, even, even a lot of sort of pure mixing engineers will probably specialize you know in a couple of genres you know or a sort of an area um of music so yeah so again you're sort of coming in with that that sort of um fresh i suppose yeah fresh pair of ears um and i suppose the thing as well which kind of makes it um you know as a lot of people say sort of mastering is a dark art <laughs> um I suppose what a, a lot of it is is because it's it's tiny a lot of tiny tiny sort of detailed adjustments uh, and I certainly know from when I was mixing and then going into sort of the surround sound world and then going into mastering the sort of the level of detail you start listening on just sort of increases um quite massively um mm. and you sort of initially start off with going you know doing lots of twiddles and things and you know a being stuff and going great i spent half an hour on this and i hear no difference whatsoever uh and then eventually you sort of you know you work more and more uh and you kind of go okay yes actually this is you know i'm separating the bass slightly from the lower mids and blah 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 anyway um so it's yeah i suppose that's that's the, that's the the sort of um main thrust of it as i said is to sort of polish and sort of make get to that final distribution mm. kind of level 
absolutely um, yeah it's very interesting to hear you speak about it my uh, my experience of um working with composers who have people who do the mastering separately mm-hmm. is exactly you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you say it's that that sort of moment when you hand it over and someone else gets the freshness because you you uh, the fresh pair of ears um so it's a bit like it, it must be impossible to listen to your own um work in that level of detail yeah for, like with that same kind of um critical ear without here without applying the critical ear to everything that's gone before mm-hmm. um <laughs> i don't know we're all very good at doing <laughs> to our own work <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely that's great and so um and again you know it's been really useful to hear you talk about the very the ways in which um how people actually approach this has changed because again it's been mm. reflected a- across this this series that we've done about production music the the sort of move towards um home studios and yeah. the range of the, the sort of ability to take on more of the process yeah. yourself or you know to do things in slightly different ways as it um has been has really run through this as has indeed the you mentioned the um the details and technicalities of file types and yeah. um, so on and so forth <laughs> It's a precision business, this, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And also as well, it's it's kind of, um, you know, again, just from a, a technical, you know, point of view, like, you know, these speakers I've got behind me were, you know, sort of uh, quite hernia-inducing in terms of price <laughs> because the level of detail you really need sort of to be able to hear, you know, again, with a sort of a home studio, you can sort of get a nice mid-range pair of sort of studio monitors and you can come up you know you can get a really good mix it sounds nice and all the rest of it but when you're sort of really digging into kind of yes small details on stuff uh with mastering and again one of the things uh with mastering because you know the levels will sort of be more evened out because of the way distribution is and certainly it's not so much these days with internet distribution but you know I'm sure you've heard of the loudness wars and sort of um, yes. <laughs> sort of sort of through the early 2000s, whatever, you know, there was this real thing of getting everything as loud as possible. Um, but one of the sort of fallouts of that is, although that's not such an imperative anymore, and actually, you know, one of the good things about YouTube, Apple Music, etc., is they've actually sort of set the levels um, quite a bit lower than what sort of people were producing for compact disc sort of distribution. Um, so there's a lot, there is a little bit more dynamic range, but I think as a sort of, as a general audience, we've got used to the sound of quite compressed music. So there's almost that for something to sound professional, it almost has to sound quite heavily compressed. So now we're sort of trying to sort of pull the expectation of back from that um, a little bit. Uh, and of course, when you know when things are heavily compressed, the way we perceive, you know, low range, mid range, high range um, changes. Uh, so again, it's sort of balancing that out a little bit. Um, and again, yeah. certainly, sort of the very low and the very high, um, we don't hear as well as the middle. So, sort of making decisions about that. Again, you need sort of quite accurate sort of precise monitoring to sort of get that that little bit of detail out um so you know bass is always a nightmare to mix (laughs) Um, yeah uh, you know so um 
yeah, that's kind of, you know, everything sort of stacks on top of that. So if you can kind of get the base right, uh, then then that sort of helps uh, with everything else. Oh, that's interesting. So because as I, I mentioned before we started doing this, I don't mastering is one of the areas of this industry that I have next to no kind of practical knowledge of. So this is really interesting for me. So what what is it about base that's difficult to mix? Like, again, Yeah, again, I suppose when you're coming, um, certainly when you're getting stuff that's mostly done in home studios, unless they're particularly set up for monitoring base, so they've got a sub or they've got some massive full range speakers. Um, and because uh, our perception of bass, our perception of pitch, the lower we go, gets more iffy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, literally when you're sort of right at the bottom of the range, you know, you could, your notes could be a third apart and we won't actually hear the difference between. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then of course, um, you know, certain, you know, the bass can be overhyped. Again, if you're listening on, especially if you do a lot of mixing on headphones, you're kind of, oh, I can't quite hear the bass. So you end up turning the bass up. And then when you listen to it on a full range system, you know, the bass is kind of like pushing you through the wall kind of thing. So mm. a lot of it in a way is sort of dealing with, yeah, the technicalities of dealing with with low bass. Um, and they used to be, again, they used to be when, when everything was on vinyl, showing my age a little bit here, um, if there was too much bass, it would literally kick the needle out of the... Oh, really? Out. Yeah. So if you listen to sort of tracks on vinyl, it's why 12-inch singles came out, because you could cut the grooves slightly deeper. Um, so you could get more bass. But if, if, yeah, so you had to sort of roll off the bass a lot mm. higher than what we do now. Obviously, if you're doing EDM and dance music, which is going to be played in a in a club that has you know massive bass bins, then you can you can actually have bass that goes below our actual hearing range because it's just then literally moving air that you physically physically feel rather than actually hear. So there's a lot of um, sort of varying degrees of that, I suppose, depending on again the style of music. If it's a you know if you're doing EDM or hip hop, then, you know, the bass is really sort of integral to that. And then where the other instruments fit on top of that, because um, you can, you know, again, depending on the type of bass you use, it can, you get harmonics and, you know, other sounds creeping up, which is why the sort of the classic um, hip hop bass was the old Roland 808 drum machine. Uh, because it was basically a sine wave. It was about as clean as you could get. So it was just a low thud without sort of blurring over the rest of it. So anyway, that's probably getting a bit technical. No, no, it's really interesting. So basically what you're saying is that you need to have the precision ears and technical knowledge to deal with um, the variety of distribution methods and varieties and basically the way the human yeah. ear um, deals with sounds. Yeah, and I think, and that is the sort of, you know, the again, the sort of the, the main measurement of sound is the decibel, you know, and mm. one decibel is, if I can remember rightly, is kind of, you know, experimentally, one decibel is the minimum amount that the average person can hear in volume change. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when you sort of start looking, sort of going into mastering and you sort of sort of talk to engineers and they go, yeah, you just need like a third of a dB here or half a dB. And I'm going, hang on, technically, we can't even hear the difference of a third yeah. of a TV. So how, how does that work? And actually, again, what you find is when, 
you know, if the dynamic range is quite heavily compressed and you're dealing with quite a small dy dynamic range, well, actually then half a dB does make a noticeable difference. Mm. And, it, and it sounds like nothing. And especially, again, when you're mixing, you can do some quite sort of radical sort of changes with sound if you want it to be that much brighter or you want to make it soft and mellow and you're cutting things all over the place. So then you're sort of doing all that and you sort of then come into the mastering process. And I'm like, yeah, I just need half a dB here. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it seems no, almost extraordinary that that does make a difference, which I suppose is where the, um, the magic bit comes in. It, it just seems like you're doing very, very little. And also my job isn't to, you know, I'm not here to remix somebody's no. work. I'm just here to make, you know, it needs to sound the same, but better. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's absolutely. just absolutely i'm just struck as well by the there's a a concept that i'm sure you're probably aware of um uh to do with um like finishing things and fi and feeling as though things are finished which is yeah. obviously to do with you know in music um a lot of people are very understandably perfectionists and mm. very very um interested in their work being as good as it can possibly be and there's this theory that you, if you try and get something from naught to 100% by yourself you basically never it never happens and so there are sort of points in which you get to like if you get somebody to have a listen through it at say 40% then you're far more likely to get to like 80% if you, does right. that make sense and then yeah, you, yeah. and then at the point of something and this is this doesn't just apply to music this is a theory that applies to, to everything if you get to 80 percent and you can just hand it over to someone and let them make it to 100 yeah. it's far more likely to actually reach the world and that's it that just this process really reminded me of that um yeah and music making has always you know been a group thing mm. you know and in a way the sort of you know that old school thing of going into a studio and having an engineer and having technicians putting the microphones in the right places for you you know that that sort of all of those little bits of expertise sort of all add together and now we're sort of slightly taken away from that because we're all beavering away in our little home studios at midnight um, yeah. on our own a lot of the time it's really it's wonderful that this technology exists and and that more is mm. possible always but it it the the potential Im, a potential impact of it is that it reduces collaboration because you can yeah. both for, yeah. for all, in all kinds of music you can do more um without needing to include other people mm. but then what you lose is that collaborative piece of creation that's gone yeah. through the the eyes and ears of of so many sort of um excellent creative people yeah absolutely Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm at least one more person. <laughs> Even if the chain is only two, all of a sudden, you know, you've doubled your input kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Which can be can be quite useful. Um, mm. And often, you know, sometimes. Again, you know, that I, I, as I said, sort of right at the beginning, you know, I can't really fix anything. So if there are things that aren't working, you know, occasionally I'll sort of say, you know, maybe you need to go back to the mix and sort of just try changing one or two things. Um, mm. And again, that could be, you know, listening environments, things like that, depending, um, you know. Yeah, and it makes a huge difference. Um, I've had, a, there's an episode of this series that I did with the composer that wrote the theme tune for this podcast. And right. we um, we talked about the process that the two of us went through in order to come up with 11 seconds of music and, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
And at one point, um, she sent me a version and I didn't like it. And she's and then she sent me another one and I did. And she, all that she did was take she changed one thing about the mix, like just shifted the volume in <laughs> one thing. And she told me about it after. She's like, that's all I did. And I was like, amazing, it worked. <laughs> and again, that's the thing. That's yeah. and I suppose my my job is just to be working on that level of of detail because as you know, as you amply demonstrated, one small change can really make the difference in how it's perceived, you know, so it's not, again, it's not, you know, the, the technical side of my job is almost like, okay, it needs to fit all this, but it's, mm. it's really about sort of, yeah, perception and how sort of little things would, yeah. you know, just make something sound better. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that deals so, so much with human perception rather than anything that's more kind of quantifiable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It's interesting. And of course I work, sort of a lot more quickly certainly compared to how you know the composition mixing process you know I sort of need to come in you know I'll listen through to a track make notes identify a few things you know um, then go through you know again I have a working process so there are certain things I'll try first um, because I know it works <laughs> and then sort of you know again depending on the track you know that will get sort of changed or you know different plugins maybe will give a slightly different sound um so it's yeah so i so so i would you know not spend weeks and weeks mastering one album you know yeah. i want to sort yeah. of kind of get that first impression and then clean that up and go with that mm. Great, thank you. Um, well, an, an insight into the world of mastering has been really valuable. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to add before we finish the episode? No, I don't think so. Hopefully I've given a bit of an overview and answered Absolutely. a few questions. So, Yeah, cool. it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.